And then there's a counter with a, another lawyer in Luke 10, verse 25. I'm going to read there. For, you can read with me. And behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test. That is Jesus. Teacher, what shall I do to in, inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And, he, and Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, that's the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going... I love how Jesus replied with a story. Don't you just love how he, he, he was amazing in telling stories? He could have just argued. And what, he, what does he do? He tells a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, a Samaritan, just to give you a quick context, from a Jewish point of view, the Jews didn't like Samaritans so much. They, they didn't sit around the same fire. And it's interesting, the first person was a priest. It was probably a Pharisee. And the second person that, that walked by the, the, um, the person being half dead was um, a Levite, a wor- actually a worshiper in that time. And the third person was the most unexpected source. The most unexpected person that was probably, and you can just imagine this crowd, Jesus telling the story to them and saying, there was a Samaritan that helped. And what I felt with this is, Basil, Father Lord saying, mercy will flow from this house from the most unexpected sources. I feel like there's some of you sitting here and you almost disqualified yourself from the mercy of God. Why you cannot receive His forgiveness, why you cannot receive His mercy, why He cannot use you, why He cannot use your life to impact the nations, impact people around you, impact people in your community. But this will be known as a house of mercy. And we will flow to and from the most unexpected sources. Basil, I fought for you, you and your wife. I felt like the Lord is giving you new eyes in this season to identify the rough diamonds. And I felt like there's a gifting God has actually given to the two of you. Um, <laughs> it is not necessarily a skill. It's a grace from God. It's not something you can sharpen. It's something the Lord is going to put on the two of you. And part of that would be, would be to call the gold out of the unexpected sources. To call the gifting out of the unexpected sources. Those that never thought that they would actually walk in. And I actually feel like there's, there's going to be, a, I specifically felt there's going to be evangelists from this house. Because, and, and if you look back to the beginning, they weren't even close to it. But it's because of the love and compassion flowing from this house. And even I feel like from the head, from the, obviously Jesus is the head, but from leadership here, felt like because of the compassion and mercy and love that you would show to these individuals, God will raise up people. Mercy will flow to the most unexpected sources. 
That's what I felt for, for you guys. And why I'm mentioning to, I mean, some of you sitting here and you're like, why, what does that have to do with me? Well, this is for the house. If you're part of this house, it has very much to do with you. Very much to do with you. I have one more word. Ah, oh, there was a little girl here in the front with blonde hair. Where, where is she? Can we quickly fetch her? I know that is just, I'm so sorry for doing that. Oh, man, I just, I feel like I need to be obedient. Jesus. Spurgeon said this. He said, those that receive mercy, the receivers of mercy will be the givers of thanks. Much mercy in this house will lead to much praise and thanksgiving. We thank you, Jesus. Hannah, 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 Hannah. Is her name Hannah? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that would be awkward. Hello, Hannah. How are you? Are you good? How old are you? Eight. Are you eight? I also have a daughter, Emma Joy, but she's a little bit smaller than you. She's four. She's half your age. She's not here tonight. <laughs> I felt something for you while we were sitting and worshiping there. I actually felt the Lord as speaking. Sometimes He whispers something in my heart, and then I know He, you know, He wants to give someone a message, and He wants to give you a message. I feel like there's going to be a, a softness in your heart, very softness in your heart. You're gonna, you're gonna feel easy, okay? But and I, I want to mention this to the parents also. You're going you're gonna to feel easy. You're going to feel a lot of emotions. But that's, uh, <laughs> that's something the Lord actually gave you. It's actually a gift from the Lord. And the reason He gave that to you is actually there's a, there's a special calling of prayer on your life. And part of these things that you feel is, so, is because God actually wants you to pray. Actually wants you to pray. And I feel like there's, there's something of your prayers that's going to move this heart. You know when you're hungry and you ask mommy for food or daddy for food? Similar, you're going to ask God for something. And I feel like there's going to be a grace on you. When, when you pray, He's going he's gonna to do it. He's going to do it. And I have this thing I do with my daughter. And I, I felt like God actually reminded me of this. Quickly put your hands on your ears. You know those ears? Okay, now you need to open, otherwise you're not going to hear. Those ears? He created. So he can speak to you. And these eyes, he created. So you can see him. And these two ears and eyes, he's going to speak to you a lot through those two things. A lot. Like a lot, Anna. A lot. And I want to pray quickly for that. Can I pray for that? Can you maybe just put your hand on her? Lord, I thank you for Hannah. And I thank you for the grace upon her life. And I thank you for wisdom for mommy and daddy. Lord, and I just thank you that you've placed a beautiful calling on this young girl's life. And I pray, Lord, that you would lead her and that you would be so real to her every day, every moment, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I just come and pray. You will come upon her in a fresh way, Jesus. You will come and fill her heart in a fresh way, Lord, that you would come and touch her heart in a fresh way. I thank you for dreams and visions that you release through this this Hannah, Lord, then she would be known as a lover of your presence and a lover of your face. 
I thank you, God. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you, Jesus, that you've called in here to you. I just thank you, Jesus. So sometimes when you feel all those emotions there, it's not wrong. It's Jesus speaking to you. Okay. And then you, you need to pray. Okay. Promise me. Okay. <laughs> Bless you, Anna. Uh, Jesus. So something I felt, I want to take you to Romans 12, verse 1 to 2 this morning. I want to start here. And I think most of you must probably have heard the scripture. I've heard so many teachings on this scripture. You can read with me. Paul's writing here and he's saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12 actually goes on in the next portion of Scripture. It goes on and speaks about different grace giftings that's been given to different individuals in the body. And then after that, there's a portion of Scripture that speaks about the marks of a good Christian. What is expected of a good Christian? What, what do you need to do as a good Christian? And you know, often we will take those scriptures, we will teach this, and it's good because those principles are true. You need to do this. Turn the other cheek, all those things. But I love how Paul starts Romans 12. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in view of what? God's mercy. You see, it's when a heart is gripped by the mercy of God that worship and surrender will flow out of you. It's when a heart is gripped by the reality of Jesus and what He has done for you on the cross that worship and praise will flow from your mouth and from your heart. You can try and be a good Christian. But I'm telling you, if you're not gripped by the mercy of God, you are just busy with your own actions. If you're not gripped by the reality of Jesus, that He died on the cross for you, that He became a curse. The Bible actually says in Corinthians, He who knew no sin became sin. You know what that means. If that grips our heart, oh Lord, surrender would flow from us. Here's my body. Here's my will. Here's my emotion. Here's my career. Here's all everything that I've planned and put out. I lay it down before you. I surrender it to you. In view of God's mercy. You see, here is a divine, I, I, I call it divine, sounds very spiritual. <laughs> but there's a, a rhythm here we see throughout Scripture when it comes to worship. And I want to... I want to point it out this afternoon. I'm, my hope is that I'm not going to speak for long. But I just, Lord, I just want to be obedient to what you want to say. Next portion of Scripture, I want to take you to Psalm 145, verse 3. We sang it now, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. 
I'm going to take that same principle you saw now in Romans 12. And I'm going to, I want to, my hope is in the end of today, I want to show you what you were made for in light of who He is. My hope is that you would know that if I look, all of you know that all Him, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face. As the things of this earth grow strangely dim. That's my hope. That as you look at Him, all the other things will fade away and He would be the one thing remaining. Psalm 145, verse 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. I want to use this scripture because I want to show you. This is where worship and life starts. Look at the first part. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. Who is He? Great is the Lord. That is where it starts. We'll always start. Who is Jesus? Who is this man? Great is the Lord. You know, it makes me think of Revelation 4. In Revelation 4, we encounter this, this heavenly atmosphere of worship going on. You can just imagine one day, all of us, Hopefully he's going to be there in that throne room. And it says in Revelation 4, there is one, Jesus, seated on the throne. And around him, worship is going day and night. If you even get day and night in heaven, I'm not even sure. But around him, there's worship going. The elders are casting their crowns before them, before this throne. They're falling on, his fa- on their faces. And then you have these living creatures with eyes all over their wings. They look. At this one seated on the throne, and they worship and say, Holy, 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 holy. Where does it start? The one seated on the throne. Who is he? Great is the Lord. And what is the outflow of you and I understand? Great is the Lord. The outflow is, and greatly to be praised. Again, if you're gripped by the mercy, the reality of Jesus, what will happen? Praise will flow out of your life and your mouth. If you're gripped by Jesus, you would cannot but surrender. And greatly to be praised, that is what you were created for. Quickly look to the person next to you and say, you were created for that. Now I want to hear you. I know that's that one thing I hope to preach. When you come to church, you're almost like, I hope the preacher never says that, you know. (laughs) You are made to praise Him greatly. Where does it start? By seeing Him and knowing Him. You see, it doesn't help I tell you, praise Him greatly, praise Him greatly, praise Him greatly. But you do not know Him as being great. You need to know Him. You need to know Him. Look at Revelation 4 again. Those elders, those creatures, they're not just responding. Can you imagine one day you and I, Jesus in front of you? You're not just going to stand there. No, no. You're going to be flat on your face. Well, I think so. <laughs> I'm going to be on my face. I don't know. But if I'm probably going to be at the back somewhere, you know, like, I'm <laughs> just like, just so glad I can be in the room, you know, on my face. Greatly to be praised. They see, they say, the creatures say, holy, holy, holy. The the scripture actually says, the elders say, worthy, worthy, worthy. And And the reason, again, they're saying it is because great is the Lord. They're seeing Him. You see where I'm going. 
There's this rhythm in Scripture. Great is He, greatly to be praised. Um, I appeal to you, by the mercy of God, I give my body as a sacrifice to you. This is my worship to you. There's this rhythm. It's never just give. It's in line of who He is. And the problem with you is you and I go in our own strength. I do this often. I do it in my own strength. I just want to do it right. And I miss who He is. You're called to know Him. <laughs> I don't know why I'm thinking about this. Friday, <laughs> Sunday, today, a week ago. I don't know why I'm telling this. I, I told the story this morning at Durbanville. Um, we went to lead worship at Stellenbosch PM. And before I go, I went. This is absolutely nothing to do with what I'm saying now. Before when my daughter comes to me and she puts her hand on me and she pray, I also pray for me before we go for worship. And she does this broken language prayer. It's like, um, God help daddy with worship. I'm like, amen. Beautiful. She puts her hand on my head and pray. I'm like, yes. And then, she's, and then she added, and make him a ballerina. I'm like, I break that one off in Jesus' name. <laughs> Anything can happen tonight. <laughs> uh, hopefully not. Hopefully not. <laughs> Someone said, come Lord. No, no, no. Not in... No, no, no. Okay. Amen. You must come. <laughs> you see, Romans 8 verse 29... I actually didn't give that scripture, so you don't have to go there. But if you're taking notes, you can write it down. You see, there's something that the Lord is busy with, each one of us in this room. And I actually, I'm going to connect the story now, actually, with what I wanted to say. Often you and I try and define our picture of Jesus. We try and we want Him to be something for us. We we allow culture to define Jesus for us. We allow politics to define Jesus for us. We allow even our needs and our family to define who Jesus is for us. Very much like my daughter wants me to be a ballerina. You see, Jesus wants to define himself to you. Romans 8 verse 29, for this reason. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be confirmed in the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. You know, Jesus is busy forming Himself in you, and it's not the other way around. You're not forming yourself in Jesus. How often we do that, the way we relate with Him is we try and make Jesus like us. You need to think like me. You need to do what I want you to do. But actually, if you look at Romans 8 verse 39, even 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, which you're not going to read now, but if you look at those scriptures, there's one thing Jesus wants to and desire to do in this room to every individual here tonight, and it's to form His Son in each one of us. Why His Son? Well, John 5 says, everything Jesus did and do, breathed and spoke, every move He made gave glory to the Father and revealed the Father. So as the Son is formed into us, we give glory to Him. We give glory to Him. That is your ultimate purpose. That is what He's busy doing. So Skulk, what are you saying now actually? And this is what I want to say. 
You and I desperately need a revelation of the greatness of God, who He is. Actually, you need to be very help, helpless tonight. You need to be desperate tonight. You need to be helpless tonight. You need to be very much dependent tonight. We need Him. We need Him. We need Him. And there's one aspect of Jesus I quickly want to focus on. And I want us to go to Matthew 13, verse 44. You're all still with me. Basil, can I still go? Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom, this is a parable that Jesus tells. It's one of the shortest parables he actually tells. It's literally in one verse. It's one of the most profound parables that Jesus told. And it goes like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. Now you can just imagine quickly with me. There's this guy. He walks. I don't know. Maybe he was on his way to, to work. Maybe he was... I don't know. He was taking shortcut over a field. I don't know what the circumstances is. But try and put yourself quickly in the shoes of this guy. And as he walks, he stumbles over something. Maybe it's a corner of a treasure chest. I don't know. Maybe it's a packet. I don't know. But he sees something is here on the ground. And he, he goes down and he clears the ground a little bit. And he sees something very valuable. Now, I just want to say for some of you, it's maybe like so weird why would there be something so precious and valuable literally in a hole in a field? Well, in that time, they obviously didn't have a Capitec bank or anything like that. So what they did is literally when they had something very precious of much worth, they would make a hole in the ground and put it in there. That was their way of trying to keep wealth safe. But there was a law in the land in that time. If you walk over a field and you discover something precious and you pull it out of the land... As soon as you take that thing out of the hole, out of it, it belongs to the person who owns that land. You cannot take it for yourself, even though you discovered it. Even, even if the landowner didn't know about it, it still belongs to him. So this guy walks. I don't know, maybe he just saw uh, 200 rand notes. I don't know. That's not a, a lot for some of you. But he discovers this treasure. Can you imagine in that moment, he was on, on his way to work, suddenly all his priorities changed. In that moment, all the, 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 his whole agenda for the day changed. In that moment, one, what he wanted to accomplish, everything was different from that moment when he discovered that treasure. He could only think of one thing from that moment. I need to get this treasure. The only way I can get this, this thing of so much worth, I need to go and sell all that I have so I can buy the land so now I can get the treasure. I love how scripture says it. He, then in his what? Now let's say it all together. Then in his? One more time. Then in his? In his joy. Do you know how much worth that treasure must be that someone in joy goes and sells everything? Everything. Not some things. Everything. You know what everything means in Greek? Everything. <laughs> But I want to take you to a similar story. 
Matthew 19, verse 20 to 22. You're going to see where am I going. Matthew 19. I can hear some Bible pages. So some of you are old school, which is good. I want to read actually from verse 16. The rich young man. uh, Some Bibles would say the rich young ruler. And behold, a man came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do have eternal life? But funny, actually, before this moment, there's a, a story, literally the portion of Scripture before this moment. They were standing there, and the disciples was with Jesus. And some moms wanted to bring their toddlers to Jesus, or babies to Jesus, so that Jesus can pray for them or bless them. Now, I have two toddlers, Emma Joy, four years old, Nathan Ryder, two years old. Believe me, I know why they want to take them to get prayed for that's just a joke. Anyways, I, I can't imagine how that scene looked like. I don't know if it was a mom with babies on, on hips or whatever, but they tried to get prayer from Jesus. And the disciples came and said, whoa, 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 whoa. no, 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 no. We're not going to do that now. And obviously most of you know, um, we have songs about it, but verse 14, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for, for to such belong." The kingdom of heaven, that's an offensive statement, actually, from Jesus at that time. A child was seen as being very foolish in the Jewish culture. Family was honored, but a child was seen as a fool, like they don't know. Adult was seen as you do know, okay? If you're adult, you represented wisdom, which is still true to a certain extent in our culture. And if you're a child, you're foolish. So for Jesus... The one that they thought would come and overthrow government at that time to come and say, hey, the kingdom of God belongs to them. Yo, that is an offensive statement from Jesus to make. I could imagine they were like, oh, how can you say that? I just imagine there's this young rich guy standing at the side and seeing this scene playing off. And he goes to Jesus after he just saw this whole thing happening. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What good deed must I do to get into the kingdom? And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If he would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Now, whom of you know when you speak to Jesus, he speaks to you in such a way that he actually knows what you're going to say back. Now, I can imagine this guy's like, what must I do? And Jesus is like, well, follow the commandments. Here they are. I am 100% sure Jesus knew how this guy is going to respond. His response is, well, I've done all these things. What else must I do? Exactly what Jesus wanted to point out in his heart. You're self-sufficient. You're dependent on your own actions. You think you deserve this. And then Jesus takes on the one thing in this guy's heart that he didn't see. And he says, Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, 
Sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Jesus, <laughs> don't you know what you're asking? This is a young rich ruler. He's defined by his wealth. And here he's standing. Jesus points out the one thing that he loves more than Jesus. Money. Sell everything. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. You know, that follow me is not just a random phrase. It's actually a very specific phrase. Very specific phrase. So for Jesus to ask this man, follow me. Basically, I'm not going to go into the detail, but in the Jewish culture, it was basically saying, I want you to make a deep commitment that you cannot turn back on. Follow me. That was the invitation to this guy. Leave everything and follow me. Do you see the differences between these two stories? The one saw the treasure, valued it, went to sell everything and joy. And the other one couldn't see the treasure that was standing in front of him. He couldn't acknowledge the worth and the value of the one that was standing in front of him. The one gave everything and the other one compromised. What is the difference? Well, the first guy saw the worth of Jesus. He saw the worth of Jesus. That word, worthy, axios, worthy, basically means this. In South Africa, the justice system is this picture of a scale. Whom of you know what I'm speaking about? A scale. And then... And um, basically what the picture represents, it's almost like these old school um, food scales. Whom of you still have an old school food scale, you know? Anyone? No one. Or um, the boxer weigh-in scales. You, you, some of the guys, you know what I'm speaking about? You climb on and then they, you know, they try to even out the weight to see what you weigh and try to make it accurate. And it's a similar picture. Axios basically refers to when they say worthy, they're basically saying, if you put Jesus on one side of the scale and I need to try and find anything that I can put on the other side of the scale, I will never be able to balance out that scale. My career, my family, coffee, (laughs) money, my life, health, I can go on. There's nothing that can balance that scale. He is the only one found worthy. The only one. And I'm going to end off almost with the last story. Matthew 26, 6 to 16. Jesus, even as we go on, Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, you say the spirit of wisdom and revelation would reveal Jesus to us. Now, I don't want to, out of my own strength, try and say to you, try and see Jesus. But I can pray, Holy Spirit, would you show us the Son of God? Would you show us Jesus in all His glory? Would you show us Jesus? Would you show us the worth and the value of Jesus? Matthew 26, verse 6 to 16. Most of you know the story of 
Mary of Bethany. It's an interesting story. Mary. Read with me. Verse 6. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leaper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, perfume. And she poured it out on his head. And he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why the waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring the perfume on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Well, there's the story. I want to end with this. Mary came with something very expensive. We actually know that that oil is worth a year of wages. So whatever work you're doing, think about a year worth of salary. Okay? Some of you is like, that's not a lot. <laughs> Some of you are like, that's a lot. <laughs> a year worth of salary. Now, you know what makes this perfume quite interesting is this perfume was only found in houses of kings and nobles most of the time. It was quite rare for a normal civilian to have this perfume. And why it was so expensive is it had to go, come all the way from India on a boat, come around all the way and find its way to wherever it needs to be. It was basically a, a grass that they would dry. They would press like a liquid out of it. And then that liquid, they would dry again. And they will crush that to form a perfume. And that will form the small little bottle of perfume that they called spikenone. And that thing was expensive. And I tried to figure out, how did Mary get perfume like this? I mean, where did she get the money even to afford this? This is a good question to ask. And you know what? The, actually, through my, my research, there was fake perfumes. There was. All of us have a friend that sells fake perfume. Some of you are wearing it at this moment. It smells a little bit like cat pee and something else. <laughs> I have a good friend that sells perfume. My mom sells perfume, by the way. So, um, but um, this perfume, after doing some research, one of the conclusions I came to is she had to sell many things. She had to let go of many things. Does it sound familiar to you? The treasure in the field? And she came into that room and she crushed that bottle, broke that bottle, poured out that perfume. Not little, like here's a, here's a little bit, the rest I will keep for later or for another moment with Jesus. No, she gave everything in one moment. Everything in one moment. For most of us, we hear all that, those facts and you think to yourself, why? Let's be honest. I, when I read that, at the beginning, when I started praying over this, I felt confronted. I was like, why on earth would you do this? 
And then I realized that points out the very reason. Like it literally cuts my heart. It confronts me. The disciples were in that room. Those that walked with Jesus. And they were indignant. They were angry. You could have sold that perfume, given it to the poor. Why did Mary, why was Mary the only person in that room that gave the perfume? Because she saw the one that is worthy of it. She saw the one that was worthy of it. There were many people in that room. She was the only one that did that. She saw the worth of Christ. She saw it. Verse 13. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will all will also be told in memory of her. Isn't that weird? That every time we preach the gospel, everyone will know and hear about Mary of Bethany. That is so weird. She loved Jesus in such a lavished way that what she did might stand as a testimony and confront your heart. Where are you? Do you see him? Do you see the worth of Jesus? Do you see? Do you desire to see the worth of Jesus? Do you desire to be face to face with him? Do you desire to see him for who he is? That story goes on in verse 14. Literally after this act. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas, went to the chief priests. He just saw Mary doing what she did. And he went out to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver Jesus over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. That was a third of what Mary gave. A third. We learn actually from the other gospels that Judas was a thief. He stole a little bit from the kitty. And he took it for himself. He compromised. There was one thing he loved more than Jesus. One thing he loved more than Jesus. Someone once said, the idea of waste only comes into our Christianity when we underestimate the worth of Jesus. I'm going to read it again. The idea of waste only comes into our Christianity when we underestimate the worth of Jesus, who He is. Can you quickly close your eyes just where you are? I know I spoke a lot now. But I felt like the Lord wanted to come and capture some thoughts and come cut some hearts. What is the one thing Jesus had to speak to you today like that young rich ruler. It's funny, that same story in one of the Gospels actually said before Jesus answered him, actually said Jesus looked at him and loved him. If he could have just seen the love that Jesus had for him, he would have let go of all the other things. What is the one thing that you are holding on to? Like if Jesus had to touch that thing. Oh, no, 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 no. We had a word in worship about the throne and the throne in our hearts. You see, the friendship of God only extends into the places where the Lordship of God is in place. We live in a culture that wants the benefits of Jesus, but they don't want to bow the knee to Him. They want the blessing, but they don't want to give their lives. 
And Jesus is looking for people that will give everything, whether there's blessing or not. Obviously, He provides. You had a testimony of, of that. He does. He's good. He's kind. He's loving. But oh, we need to be a people that bow our knees and bow our hearts because of the worth of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, I pray, would you speak to our hearts? What is the things that we are clinging to? I'm just going to give a minute. Let him just speak to you where you are.